We are, we are concluding a series that we've been in on relationships called Relationology. And uh, in this series, we have solved all your relational woes, right? Everyone's got healthy, thriving relationships. No more problems, right? Uh, today, I'm excited because we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about something uh, that, is, that is relevant to every single one of us. And I think it'll help. I hope it will help a great deal. But first, let me bring you back, and for some of you that you don't have to go very far, to your dating relationships. When you were in some kind of a relationship that you knew was going nowhere and you needed to terminate it, the words that you may have used were, hey, you know, I think you're really great and you're sweet and I like your mom and it's fun when we hang out and we do stuff and um, you're really cool and everything. Um, but I think we just need to break up. But, but trust me, it's not you, it's me, right? And we want to just kind of like let them off easy and not have their heart broken. It's not you, it's, it's me. And what you're saying is one thing, but what you're thinking in your head is something completely different. Uh, you're thinking this person's nuts, you know, like get me off the emotional roller coaster. I can't go with you any longer. This is not going to work out. Uh, very well. I, I, you know, we're, I'm going in a different direction. We're, we're going in very different ways. I, I'm not, uh, you know, maybe you're saying, like, if this, this country, if this globe, if this universe were hit by an asteroid and we were the only two people left, it's still not going to happen. You know, I mean, some of, you have to be like that blunt sometimes. But we're talking about this reality of, of it's not you, it's me. And even though you might say that and you might be sweet and, and nice and want to and wanna make people feel good, still there's something underneath everything. There's something underlying that is relevant, that is in every single one of us that we're going to talk about today. And it's the thing that is the primary killer of our relationships. The primary killer of our relationships is selfishness. And I just want to break it to you right up front. You are selfish. I am selfish. Look at this verse in Proverbs. It says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. Now, I know some of you are really friendly. And uh, some of you, maybe not some of you, but we know the people who are like uber friendly, but it's only to ser- serve their own purpose in some way, right? They're really friendly to you, but they want something in return right? We, we, there's, there's a friendliness factor that can be fake because underneath for all of us in some way, shape, or form is this, I, this is this selfishness that's eating away at our relationships. Look at this next verse. It says in John six twenty six, Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. He's talking to a crowd of people that were following him. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, Jesus is saying, all these people, they're chasing me, they're coming, they're following, but it's not because I'm the God of the universe, it's because I gave them good food. And they want stuff. So it's not a new thing. It goes back a long ways. We all have this tendency to want to pursue for us, for ourselves. We have this selfish thing in us. Look at Romans 2.8. It says, But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Do you remember several weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about uh, our relationship first with God and then with each other. I said, If our relationship with God is disconnected, all of our other relationships will be affected. 
Now, it's the, same, it's the same story. Our selfishness is not only eating away at our relationships with each other, it's disrupting our connection with God. So there is something bigger going on here than just catfighting and backbiting. There is something bigger, and it has to do with your connection to your creator. And selfishness, you don't even realize it, but it's getting in the way of your connection with your God. So let me just tell you, I know what some things are going on in your minds right now. You're thinking that you probably buy in because you know selfish people. You know people out there that are selfish, and you know that that's not a good way to live. You know how it affects your relationships. You know the kind of people that only talk to you and ask you a question so that you can ask that question back to them, and then they're ready, right? Then they're ready to talk. You know the kind of people that are only getting in conversations. They're only calling you when they need something, right? You know selfish people, and you know that that kind of behavior kills relationships because you don't want a relationship with that. And we see it, get this, get this, we see it really clearly in other people. (laughs) We don't see it clearly in ourselves, and so I want to invite you for a few minutes just to, just to be open to the fact that maybe, maybe there is selfishness in you and in me that is the real reason for brokenness in our relationships. Because your mind is already going to certain people. I know it is. Mine does. But just put that on hold for now and entertain the possibility that maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. That same, I, I just read from Romans 2, 8, that, that, whole pa- that whole chapter of Romans 2, it's all talking about not judging other people. It says that it, when you see something in someone else that you don't like, it's probably because it's in you. And our tendency will always be to see, to judge, and not to take the time to look inside at our own selfishness that actually is the real problem. And here's why we don't see our own selfishness. You are blind to your selfishness because of your woundedness. You're blind to your selfishness because of your pain from the past, from past relationships, from things gone wrong, maybe from current relationships. You, you see them destroying your relationship, but you can't see how you're destroying it because you just know your own hurt. And you feel justified in your hurt because it hurts. You know the famous line, hurt people hurt people. We, we feel, we know, and we feel entitled to act out to our bad behavior because of our pain, because of our woundedness. And we can't get past that because it's what we know. And we we think that we're entitled because of our pain. It's our woundedness that prevents us from seeing how severe our selfishness is. When I was going through a quarter-life crisis like seven years ago, I was, my life was a mess and I was like, man, I just need help. So I went to counseling here. I got some therapy over here. I met with this pastor here. You know, I just, you know, help me, help me, help me. I must be broken because my life is a mess. And what was happening is over weeks and months, I was doing good stuff, right? And I became totally self-absorbed because I was just looking here. And it was my mom, actually, that called me out on it. And she said, hey, Kelb, I want to just encourage you. I, yeah, you're doing stuff, and, and we'll help pay for you, to, you know, the counselor or whatever. But, but what I'd really like for you to do is go and serve someone that's really needy. Yeah, you got, you're going through hard stuff. But, but I think that if you would go and serve someone 
in a worse off situation, that it would bring perspective to yours. And that just maybe getting your eyes off of yourself is the answer. And it was. That when I began to do that, I began to see things differently. I began to hear God differently as I took the focus off of myself. Now, counseling is good. I'm not, I'm not wrecking that whole idea. I'm just saying, if you are all about yourself and figuring out yourself and getting help for yourself, you are going to be selfish. It's inevitable. And we live in a culture, friends, that's going to keep telling you to continue focusing on you, that no one else is going to look out for you. You got to look out for you. And they are going to make you a monster if you let them. Because this world will take a selfish person and they will say, hey, you are wounded and you are hurt. You need more focus on you. And you're going to tell a selfish person to get more selfish and it's just going to snowball and it's going to be a mess. And all of a sudden you're going to alienate people from your life and you're going to wonder, how did this happen? And it's, it's because of selfishness. I had, a, uh, I had a buddy, God bless you, that was aggressive. Um, I, had a, I had a good buddy in high school, and, and we knew each other throughout uh, junior high. I think I have a picture. This is um, the, I had like two best friends in high school. Can you see that okay? Yeah, that's me in high school. You can't see this, but I had like the long tail jacket because... I was obsessed with the movie Tombstone, and I thought it made me look more like Doc Holliday. Some of you will appreciate that. But so Albus over here in the white always wanted to look different, and he, he and I were, we're, were good friends, and, and we, uh, you know, best friends since, since junior high school, but we, we kind of, we fought a lot. We competed against each other, and so there was a time where we sat like this far away from, from each other in a history class for a whole semester, and we went over two weeks without speaking a single word. Because he did something I thought was ridiculous, and he was, and, and he was waiting until I approached him and apologized for the situation. I was like, no, I'm not having any of that. I'm not, I'm not going to enable that kind of behavior. You're the selfish one. And so I, and so I, just, I just shut down communication, and I said, we're not going to talk. And so we sat this close, not saying a word for two weeks in this class. It was ridiculous. Lori, you can pull that down. It's awful. Uh, and then I realized, I realized something later. I realized when I got into college and I had these, uh, you know, different relationships, I realized that it was actually me who was the problem in that instance. Yeah, he may have been acting ridiculous, but I, it, I was operating out of my own woundedness. It came to me somehow, maybe when someone else was talking like this, it came to me that there was a time when I was a kid, when I moved to a new school, I was like nine years old, fourth grade, just moved from Arizona to Claremont, and I was going to this new school, and I made some good like kid guy friends, like if you can, and then we were out on the playground, and I overheard one of them that didn't know I was there saying something negative about me. And I thought that they were my friends. And I began to believe then that people cannot be trusted. That the people that I think are the closest to me can hurt me probably and wound me the most. And so I built up this barrier and I didn't want to indulge his selfishness because I thought that he will be the one that ends up hurting me because he's my best friend. And so I created this wall. It was my woundedness that built this barrier. Now, some of you know that right out of college, I got married 
And I got married and that relationship was very difficult for, for several years until she opted out. And I thought that she was crazy and she was selfish and then that she filed for divorce, so that proves it. She's nuts, right? Until a couple of years later, I get married to wonderful Hillary and we're just a few weeks into our wonderful marriage and some of the same stuff starts to happen. And I start to get frustrated and irritated by the same things. And I start to get critical of her in the same ways. Turns out there was a common denominator. I don't know if you picked up on it. <laughs> and I, I would have destroyed my second marriage at whatever, in my 20s, if her mom had not gotten sick with cancer and we moved up to Washington and I watched her love and care for her mom and her mom die and watched that process in the last breath and something, thank God, happened in me and I began to see my own selfishness. I began to see it in me because I was, a, I was watching this wonderful woman die in front of me and I was watching her daughter take care of her and I knew if that were me, she would do that for me. And I thought, how incredibly selfish am I that I would pick apart these other little things? Friends, you need to know that your relationships, the thing that is destroying your relationships is your selfishness. You can't change somebody else. So stop trying. Stop pointing out their stuff. Stop pointing at their selfishness or their dysfunction. Everybody's got it. All you can change is yours. And until you do, your selfishness will eat away at your most important relationships. That is just the reality. And we come by it honestly. Even before our woundedness, our selfishness rises to the surface. It goes back to the very beginning. I like taking us back to the beginning so that we see that we are a part of a human condition, a human story that we all have to overcome and be aware of. So we're going to look just at a little snippet of Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to read it with you on this screen. You don't have to read it out loud. I'm just going to visually read it with you. Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So Adam and Eve are in this garden that God had laid out for them, this luscious, incredible space. And the serpent finds his way to them, and he says to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Next slide. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So he says, You can have anything else. I mean, God creates paradise, the thing that we always refer to in the movies and books, everything refers to the Garden of Eden as paradise. God creates paradise, and he says, all of it is yours, do with it what you please, just don't eat from this one tree. And so, of course, the serpent comes in, and what's he get us to do? Eat from the one tree. And she knows the right thing, and she says that thing, and, she, and then he says, the serpent replies, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So then the next verse, it says, Adam made, oh no, let's go back. You will be like God. That is, that's the seduction. That's the seduction. So what happens here, the original selfishness, here's how it plays out. 
It plays out when the enemy introduces this one little idea, doubt. Is God really good? Does he really have your best interest in mind? The source of selfishness in your life starts with that question. It's doubting if God has your best interest in mind. Because if he doesn't, then you have to take matters into your own hands, right? That was the original sin and the original question that was posed. And so selfishness is playing out in your life because you have answered that question and you are still questioning at times, is God really good? Can he be trusted? Or is he holding out on me? And do I need to take matters into my own hands? That is where selfishness began. And then... It leads to significance. So the enemy tempts them, tempts them by saying, you will be like God if you eat this fruit. So for us, it's that pursuit of something more. Like, like we deserve more. I'm here and I should be here. I have this and I should have this. We want more significance. And so we, we wonder, is God really good? And then we claim more for ourselves and we want to be at a different place. And selfishness gets its roots, its holds, its claws in us when that begins to happen. And then the next thing is we get impatient. All these words are in your notes because I want them to trigger something real practical in your own story. We get impatient. And we, the, the Adam and Eve, God wandered around in the garden with them. They could have waited just a little bit longer and just had a little combo with them about it. And be like, really, God? Like, t- tell me about this. Why just not this one tree? They didn't. They saw, they wanted, they took. Impatience. If you find yourself saying things like this, I've waited long enough. Why is this still my story? I've prayed, I've done all the stuff that I should do, God isn't answering me and we get tired of waiting, we get impatient, we want things on our terms, on our timetable and we wonder, we doubt that God is good, we want more significance more quickly, we get impatient. And the last thing is we let our appetite run the show. We see, we want, we take. You are operating from a selfish position if you find yourself taking instead of receiving from him. If you find yourself always trying to get and take and claim, you are operating from selfishness. That's just the reality. It's been the reality throughout all of human history. Look at your life. Look at your patterns. If you find yourself in take mode, or if you find yourself impatient, or if you find yourself longing for more significance, or doubting if God is good, then selfishness has really a core hold on you, as it does for all of us in some way. Let's move on to then Genesis chapter 4. That is our story with God. That's the origin of our selfishness. And then What happens when we're disconnected from God, it affects all of our other relationships, and so this happens. Adam Adam made love to his wife, Eve. Did you know sex was in the Bible? There it is. (laughs) And she became pregnant, because that's how it works, and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, not many people name their kids Cain and Abel anymore, because this story goes badly. Here we go. Now Abel 
kept flocks, so Abel took care of the animals. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering to the Lord, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Hold it there for a second. So I want you to see that Cain, it says, just brought some of the fruits, which means some of his veggies. And what's, what's happening here behind the scenes is that, is that Cain is bringing the stuff essentially that he doesn't want. Cain's bringing the leftover stuff. And he's saying, here, God, there's your offering. Abel, on the other hand, brought his firstborn, in essence, his best. He said, this is my first right out of the gate. This is I, my best. My first is for you because I believe that you've given me everything. It's not hard to see. We, you know, the Garden of Eden, and then we messed that up, but we still are being taken care of. You are God. We're, there's not too many humans around, so we have this relationship. This is pretty amazing. And so Cain still doesn't get it. He just gives him the leftovers. Abel does get it and gives him his best stuff right? The, mod, the kind of a parallel for today, you just go to finances and you think, if you are the person who understands that God does care about your resources, the question is, are you someone who gives a little bit at the end of the month if you have any left? Or do you give right out of the, right out of the gate because you are convinced that everything you have is from God anyway? That's what's happening here. Cain doesn't get it. It's an afterthought. Abel gets it and he wants God to have his very best. And here's what happens. The Lord looked with favor upon Abel's offering, but on Cable's off, uh, Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Next slide. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Selfishness is crouching at your door. It desires to dominate you and destroy your relationships, but you have to rule over it. You have to get a grip on it. You have to understand that you are prone toward being self-centered and get a grip on it or it will control your life. Next slide. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Famous line. So here's what's happening here. Because we started out selfishness disconnecting us from God, it then impacts our other relationships. And for Cain and Abel, what it did was Cain began to compare himself to Abel. You are, if you see selfishness or if you see comparison in your life, selfishness is at the root of it. If you find yourself comparing and thinking that person is getting blessed and I am not, how come things are going well for that person? How come they have more? Selfishness is at the root of it and it's crouching at your door and wants to control you comparison is one of those warning signs. Comparison is a dead giveaway that selfishness is operative. Selfishness, that comparison factor leads to jealousy. I heard someone say this week that jealousy is counting other people's blessings and not yours. When you compare, you are being selfish like Cain was. And then he goes to blame. He goes from comparison to blame. So instead of owning the fact that he just gave God his leftover veggies that he didn't even want, 
Instead of owning that and going back and getting God the best stuff, he blames his lack of favor on his brother because his brother just showed him up. If you find yourself deflecting and blaming, not taking responsibility and blaming someone else, selfishness has a grip on your soul. And then the last thing is detachment. You get to a place over time, a selfish person, when you just stop feeling sorry for other people. It starts slowly, but if you find yourself numb, when you hear about people's pain, if it doesn't affect you, when you see someone hurting or you've inflicted some kind of pain and it doesn't bother you, you have detached. And that's when you know it's bad. God says, where is my child Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? After he had killed the dude. Now, I know some of you are saying, I'm not going to kill anybody. <laughs> like, like my selfishness is not that bad. Why did you use this illustration? Because I just checked out. Because I am not that selfish of a person. But I want you to get this. Listen. Up until this day, no one had died yet. Adam and Eve were created. They had these two kids. God probably populated the earth in other places, but this is, the, this is the second generation. No one had died yet. My point is this. Cain didn't understand the consequences of his actions. Cain didn't understand that in acting in this kind of comparison and anger and rage and blaming his brother, that, that giving way to all of that, he didn't understand what would happen when he killed him. He didn't understand what happened when he, when he beat him. He, 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 didn't, he couldn't anticipate the consequences of his actions. Just like you and I, when we act in selfishness, when we give in to that, when we, when we blame and we disconnect and we, and we doubt God and we go through this process, when, when we let those things in, we don't know the consequences that will result. We don't know, but I do know this, that our selfishness is eating away at our most important relationships. And that is not God's intent. That is not his plan for you. He has more for you. Look at this verse in Galatians. It says, my brothers and sisters, God called you to be free, but not to use your freedom as an excuse to just do what pleases your sinful self. Instead, serve each other with love. The whole law is made complete in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus walked this earth, he said, all of life and the priority of life can be summarized simply in this. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else falls under those two things. He doesn't say don't take care of yourself. He doesn't say ignore yourself. He doesn't say, he doesn't say that you should think less of yourself in some kind of like insecure or you know, negative way. He says instead of thinking less of yourself, think about yourself less. Think about others instead. Think about how you can love somebody else well. What would that look like? What would that look like to choose to love somebody else instead of just yourself? How can you love the people around you and in your life like you love yourself? What would that look like 
for you. And 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, talking about Jesus. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In essence, as we approach Easter, Jesus came and died and hung on a cross. And in doing so, it was as if he was saying, it's not you, it's me. I will take all of your selfishness, all of your dysfunction, all your mistakes, all your bad behavior, all your jealousy, your rage, all the ways that you've messed up, all the ways that you will mess up. It's not you anymore, it's me. I'll take it upon myself. That is what the cross is about. That has been done for you. And so it makes sense then that he would invite you into a similar posture to say instead of pointing out other people's flaws and weaknesses, to just own your own. And to just say, it's not you, it's me. I will own my selfishness. I will, not, I will not belittle you and pick you apart and be critical and compare and detach and blame and doubt God. I, w- I, won't, I will recognize those things and I will turn away from those things and I will just say, God, help me. Help me to know. Psalm 139 says, to search me, God, and know my heart. Know my wicked or sinful or selfish ways. Let me know. I don't want to be that guy. So I want to invite you today to look at that list in your outline. Look at those words. What, what words on that list that we talked about? What are those that are triggers for you? What are warning signs for you? What, when you look at your life, do you see that should be just a little warning light saying, this selfishness is at play here. Selfishness is at play here. Is it doubt? Is it comparison? Is it a desire for significance? Is it impatience or an appetite that you just give way to? Is it blame or detachment? What are those things that you need to keep your eye on and just say, God, this is not how I want to live. I don't want to be a person just controlled by my own selfish instincts. I want to be someone who understands and receives your love and then offers that love generously to others. The amazing thing, friends, is that take my wife or take any relationship, really. When I started just loving Hillary well and not caring, not focusing on her selfishness or things that I thought that she was doing wrong, when I just looked at mine, over time, she wanted to change. When she felt loved well, she wanted to pursue her own journey with God and kind of being aware of her selfishness. When I focus on her or on him or on somebody else, they resist. They don't want anything to do with that. The key to our healthy relationships, the key to having the relationships that God desires for you is to just own our own selfishness and to let God heal us, not even focusing on the woundedness from the past, but just saying from here forward, God, heal me. Help me not to be selfish. Help me to turn to receive your love and to just share that love liberally, first with the people closest to me, and then anyone else that you bring into my path. One last thing I want to invite you to consider 
Is there a name that you need to write down on your page or just have in mind that you need to ask forgiveness of today? When you leave a phone call, a letter, anything like that, is there, is, there may be someone that just God puts on your heart that says, this person is being negatively affected by my self-centeredness, and I want that to stop. I'm going to own that. I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and I'm going to pray that God would restore that relationship, bring health and healing there, and help me to love better going forward. There is more for you. There are great things in store for your relationships as we align with what God has for us. God, I just pray that you would speak now, that you would whisper to your people, you would help us, inspire us, convict us as appropriate, give us the courage to act and respond, that we would receive your love, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you would teach us what it means to really love others like we do ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.